The next section in the book of Romans is actually chapter 8, and it begins a whole new um, theme in Paul's letter, dealing with um, living life in the Spirit. And I've been feeling that we needed to wait a little bit and let some of this other sink in before we expound that section. So I'm going to wait until after the first of the new year to go to Romans 8. Meanwhile, it's that time of year, that season of Christmas. And Jesus is the reason for the season. And I wanted to take some time in these next three Sundays to remind ourselves of wonderful truths of the Incarnation. What does it mean that God became flesh and dwelt among us? And as John says, we beheld his glory. Glory as of an only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But what significance is that? How does it affect our lives today? How does it make a difference? You know, I um, stand up here and I preach week after week. And I look at you, and I look at your faces while I'm preaching. And uh, sometimes I see engagement, and you're listening actively. And uh, sometimes I see you're right with me, and sometimes I look out there and I kind of get... You know, it's like, the lights are on, but is anyone home? Are the lights even on, you know? It's like you're, you're, you're behind us, kind of... And sometimes I think as I'm preaching, and you know me, those of you that have been around for a while, the only thing I know to do is preach the Scripture and preach expositionally. That's the only thing I know how to do. And I think sometimes as I preach doctrine and I preach the Scriptures and whatever, you know, sometimes going through people's mind, yeah, but tell me what to do Monday. You know, how does this work on Monday? I've got this problem at work. I don't know how to solve it, and I need some practical advice. Or I need, I need to know how to make my marriage work. Or I'm having trouble with my kids, and I don't know what to do. And Could you give me three principles for effective parenting? You know, those kind of things. Tell me what to do. And I wonder sometimes if we make the connection between the message of Jesus and the practical application to my life situation in the real world where we're living. The Apostle Paul kind of answers that question as he talks about the incarnation of Jesus Christ from the book of Colossians. And I'd like you to turn there with me this morning to chapter 1, and we're going to look today at some of the things Paul says in Colossians about the practicality of Jesus Christ in our lives on Monday and Thursday and whatever other time we need answers, help, solutions, solace, and so on. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 25. I'm reading from the New American Standard Translation, if you'd like to follow along in your Bible. Colossians 1.25, of this church... I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God. That is, the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to His saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches 
of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim Him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to His power, which mightily works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf, and for those who are at Laodicea, and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in Him you have been made complete, and He is the head over all rule and authority. And in Him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him, through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through it. <clears throat> you know, Paul lived in the real world too. Not this Paul, but this Paul, the one of the Bible. He lived in the real world too. He lived where people had to work for a living. He lived where there were thieves and robbers, murderers, rapists, and anarchists. He lived in the midst of political troubles and turmoil. He lived in a time of multiculturalism with Latin influence, Greek history, and, and Jews and various other people of subject nationalities that had been incorporated in the Roman Empire. Paul lived in a time when it was hard to be a Christian. Even though it was a brand new faith, it was tough. People were experiencing persecution and difficulties. Paul lived in a time when people had to raise children and families somehow guide and influence and give their values to their kids. Paul lived in ordinary times. He lived in times like we live in. We can turn on the television and see all kinds of stuff on TV, all kinds of horror. We can, uh, we can even see news reports with video footage of murder in malls. 
We can watch vicariously the mayhem and madness on TV programs that are designed to to thrill us. But Paul had those same kinds of things. Orgies were common, and even in the religious practice of his day. People had all kinds of ideas about life. Philosophy abounded. The Greeks prided themselves in their philosophical uh, history and their culture. He lived in a time when families were torn with finances and difficulties and troubles and earning a living and getting an education and avoiding trouble with the law and staying out of the radar of the political rivalries. And and when he wrote to the Colossian church, he said, I'm writing to you, And I have one focus and one goal in mind. I want to preach the Word of God, the mystery hidden from the ages past. I proclaim Jesus Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that I may present every man complete in Jesus Christ. Paul said the answer to these problems then and now is not in a system It's not in a book, it's not in in a new methodology, it's not in a practice of religion. The answer to all of these problems, then and now, is a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. And Paul said, I proclaim him. He is my message. I have nothing else to share. Because if I gave you anything else, I would be giving you something false, something shallow, something that would not be sufficient in all circumstances. I give you Jesus. And I ask myself the question in these, in these verses, what is the Jesus that Paul is offering? What is his character? What is his nature? And the first thing that we find as we look at that is, Jesus is the mystery hidden through the ages. Now in the Bible, when the scripture talks about a mystery, it's talking about something that people didn't know about. It was kind of like covered up. And then as it was unveiled, it was like, Oh, now I see. But for for many ages, it was hidden from sight. It was not understood. Even the Jews, though the Old Testament prophets had clearly described the kind of Messiah that would be coming, they misread many of the implications. They didn't get all the signs. They were looking for a political deliverer only, someone that could free them from Roman oppression. And when he showed up, they weren't expecting God in human flesh. They were expecting something else. They weren't expecting him to be born of a peasant couple, a carpenter and a peasant Jewish girl in a little town called Bethlehem. As far as they knew, he was from Nazareth. They weren't expecting the Jesus that they got. But Paul tells us that Jesus was unique and that he was the mystery of God hidden through the ages. And what is that mystery? He tells us in these passages. First of all, the first mystery is that this Jesus Christ who was planted in the womb of Mary by the Holy Spirit, born a baby and placed in a manger in Bethlehem, this Jesus Christ was God himself invading human history in a bodily form of a human being. He didn't blaze upon the curtain of human history uh, in some white celestial horse waving that sword we 
read about in Revelation, presenting himself as King of kings and Lord of lords, but he came very humbly and unobtrusively in the form of a little baby, and he began to grow and develop as any other child. Paul says this is a mystery. It's something that was hidden, that God has come among us in the form of this child. That God has clothed himself with humanity in order to walk in our midst. And John says, we beheld his glory. Oh, man. Oh, we saw him. We beheld his glory. Glory as of an only begotten of the Father. Full of grace, full of truth. What a, what a sight. But Paul also says the mystery is Christ in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not just that God became man, but that this now crucified and resurrected and glorified Jesus can actually live in you. I'm going to say more about that in a moment. But, but the mystery that the Old Testament saints never quite got was that God's goal was to restore himself to the rightful temple, this temple which he had vacated in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned, but now, through the cleansing of the blood of Jesus, makes possible God to come and live in my heart again. This is a mystery, but it's now revealed to us. He is the treasure chest of all wisdom and knowledge. You know, many people stop short with the wisdom part. They agree with that. They say, Jesus is wisdom. You know, I, I can go to him for religious understanding. I can go to him for theological truth. I can go to him to, to save my soul. I can get religious instruction from Jesus. And then they, then they immediately go out to deal with life and they, and they face it on their own. But Paul says Jesus is the treasure chest of all wisdom and knowledge. That he is the repository of all truth, not just divine truth, as if we could separate it out, but all truth. He knows everything. In the first service, I had a number of young people who uh, are, are in high school, and I was talking about the fact that Jesus knows algebra, and he knows political science. You know, he understands chemistry. He made the elements. Why wouldn't he understand it? He understands all the things that you're facing. When I came to Jesus Christ as a young person, I was in high school when I came to Christ, and I committed my life to Him with all of my, with all of my being. I had, I had made a decision for Christ earlier, but when I was 16, I, it really came to me, and, and, and there was a turning point in my life. And from that day forward, I relied on Jesus Christ for everything not just for salvation and spiritual wisdom, but I relied on him to get my studies done. I don't know if they knew much about ADD in those days. I, I never even heard the phrase until a few years ago, well, a number of years ago now. But, but um, I, I, what I did know was I hated classroom education. I did not like sitting in a chair, you know, listening to somebody talk like I do now. You know, that, that really got to me. That occurred to me this morning, and I thought, oh, boy. <laughs> but that's why I do this, because I don't have to sit. I can talk, right? No, that's not exactly true. God, God called me to do this, but it is a good thing. 
But I began to rely on him to help me focus on my studies. I relied on him to help me concentrate. I relied on him to help me learn. And when I went into a test, I relied on him to recall in my mind the things that I had committed through his grace and mercy to learn. I can rely on Jesus for that kind of knowledge. And he is able to do it. I put everything in his hands, right down you know, to, to my test in chemistry. When I really turned my life over to Jesus Christ, I was in a bad way in chemistry. That was not my biggest problem, but it was a problem. And, uh, and I needed to ace the final. I had to ace the final to pull the class out. I mean, it was that bad. And I came to Christ in the spring of the year, and I was already, you know, three-fourths of the way through the school year, and I was in trouble. And I studied for like two days and pulled an all-nighter, asking God to help me. And I testify the truth of, of God, before God, this is the truth. I made the highest grade in all the sections of chemistry on the final, by the grace of God. Now, I don't remember much of it today. <laughs> but I got out of chemistry. I passed it because God helped a depressed, broken-hearted, sad teenager mourning the death of his dad, trying to figure out life in a bad way mentally when he turned my life around and gave me peace and focus. He helped me pull together chemistry. He is the source of all knowledge. Some of you have heard me tell the story in the past. R.G. Letourneau was a great inventive engineer. He was worked in the area of, of heavy equipment and designing road equipment and machinery and those kinds of things. But he had a brilliant mind. And during World War II, uh, he was asked to join a special panel of, of experts that were summoned to Washington because the military had need of a particular kind of, of equipment that they could use um, in some of the theaters where they needed that kind of machinery. And they had a particular need, and they brought together a number of minds from across the country and asked them to devote their attention to this problem. And they had been meeting throughout the week and long hours into the night, and they could not solve a particular problem that was holding up this project. And the testimony is in his biography that it came Sunday morning, and they had met late into the night, Saturday night, and these uh, team of engineers and uh, workers agreed that they would meet again on Sunday morning. And Letourneau said, I won't be at that meeting. I'm going to go to church. And it was like, you know, this is a matter of national importance in the war effort. What do you mean you're going to go to church? And he says, I always go to church. I'm going to go and worship God, and I'm going to put this problem before him. And they were about ready to consider him treasonous. I mean, he really irked this whole group. But he went to church that morning, and as he sat there praying and, and, and seeking and worshiping God, he wasn't particularly looking for a solution to the problem, but he was in the midst of the assembly, worshiping God, listening to the message, and in the middle of the message, a solution came to his mind and an idea which he carried back to the committee, and it turned out to be the key to the problem they were trying to unlock. Don't leave Jesus 
out of the practical affairs of your life. He is the source of all knowledge. He can guide you in all truth. He is the one who has all the answers. Paul says he is furthermore the fullness of all deity and bodily form. I want you to look at that verse. It's verse 9 of chapter 2 because it's, it's a very important statement. The first thing that it says is, in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Now I want to ask you the question. When was Paul writing this letter to the Colossians? You know? When do you think this letter was written? Wild guess, middle, last, middle third, last half of the first century, do you think? Maybe late 50s, early 60s, he wrote these letters. All right, Jesus Christ was crucified, went to the cross, probably somewhere in the neighborhood of A.D. 27, 28, somewhere along in there, maybe a little earlier even. Pentecost had already occurred. The resurrection had already occurred. Jesus has ascended to the Father. Do you know where I'm going with this? Look at the verb tense. In Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. He doesn't say dwelt. He says dwells. Did you know that Jesus Christ, when God formed a body for Him, an embryonic cell beginning to develop and planted it in the womb of Mary, did you know that, that the Son of God took on human form not just for 33 years but for all of eternity for our sake? That He became a man forever. Fully God but fully man forever on our behalf. He rose bodily. He comes back bodily. But He will be there bodily. And when we're in glory celebrating eternity with God and Jesus Christ, we will look at the man, Christ Jesus, because he has taken a body forever that looks like ours in his total identification with us. All the fullness of deity dwells in him even now. And, Paul says, all the fullness of deity dwells in him. He is fully God. He is not part of God. He doesn't have a little piece of God. He has all of God. All the fullness dwells in Him. God is bigger than the universe. He is vast and, and, and unsurpassed, and yet all of Him, all of His presence and personality and power and, and divinity can dwell in this man, Jesus Christ. And I want you to stay with me logically. If all the fullness of deity dwells in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ dwells in us, where does all the fullness of deity dwell now this morning? If A equals B and B equals C. See, I, I did do algebra. Then A equals C. If all the fullness dwells in Him and He dwells in me, all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in me this morning. I am not God. Neither are you. But God lives in me in all of his fullness. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? That God has come to this temple to take up residence because of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And then Paul says in verse 9 or verse 10, that, that next verse of chapter 2, In him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. 
Not only is he the mystery of the ages, not only is he the treasure chest of all wisdom and knowledge, not only does all the fullness of deity dwell in him bodily, but Jesus Christ is the head of all rule and authority. How do we know that? Because in the last couple of verses I read to you, beginning in verse 14, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through it. Now some translations translate that through him, but the, the, the gender actually calls for the cross as, as being the antecedent. Through it, through the cross, he triumphed over the powers of darkness. Where do you think Satan was after Jesus was put in the tomb? Where do you think the wicked angels and all the demons of hell were assembled? No one got sick leave that weekend. No demons went on vacation. All the powers of darkness gathered for one purpose. To defeat Christ, if not at the cross, then in the resurrection. And the scripture says he rose triumphantly through them without even a second of hesitation. He made a public display of them on the cross and he triumphed over them through the cross and he was raised powerfully from the grave as King of kings and Lord of lords, triumphant over death and triumphant over all the powers of darkness. And he ever lives in glory to make intercession for us with all things under his feet. He is the ruler, the undisputed sovereign of the universe. He is the Lord of glory, the King of kings, the Mighty One, and He is powerful. He is the head of all rule and authority. Why is Paul so focused on Jesus? The first question I ask is, who is Jesus? I, I actually, in my outline, if you go back and look at my rough draft on the computer, my second point was, what good is He? I thought it would be probably not a wise idea to put that in print and leave it laying around in case somebody that didn't hear the sermon picked it up and said, what's wrong with this man? But who is he? And if, if, if he is these things, if he is the mystery, if he is the treasure of wisdom and knowledge, if he is the fullness of deity, if he is the head of rule and authority, what good is it? What difference does that make on Monday? What difference does it make when you've got a thorny issue with your child and you don't know how to solve it? What difference does it make in your marriage? What difference does it make in your place of business? What difference does it make in your finances? What does it matter who he is? Paul says, my goal is to present everyone complete in Jesus Christ. He says, first of all, to, present, to prevent you from being deluded with persuasive arguments. What kind of arguments? He explains those. In this passage, he says, to help you avoid being taken captive, verse 8 of chapter 2, through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men and the elementary principles of the world. You know, sometimes I admit it is tempting for me to want to put together one of those clever little sermons and give you three ways to be a successful parent. The only problem is I don't know three ways to do that. I'm not sure I know any ways to do that, but I, you know, I'm tempted to, to want to do that. But you can't put in a book 
You can't put in a popular piece of literature. You can't, you can't put the, the ten ways to be a, a wowing, astounding wife, according to Scripture. Because your situation is unique and different from everyone else's. Ryan and Ashley, Christian did not come with a manual. When he was born, there was no book that followed, no instructions. And that was by design. And I can't give you a book that will tell you how to raise Christian. But I know someone who knows. Every step of the way that can give you direction and wisdom and insight when you face those questions and thorny issues. How do I discipline this? Do I, do I send him to school here or here or here? What do I do? How do I, how do I make these decisions? What about Tyler? What do I do? You know, how do you solve these issues? Jesus knows. Jesus knows. There's not a book made that can give you the specific answers to your specific questions, but there is Jesus, the Son of God, who knows your need inside and out. And frankly, we are designed without the instruction manual for a purpose so that we will fall on our face before God and say, God, you know what, I need you. I don't just want you to hand me a book that I can read now i got this thing figured out. I need you every day. I need you every moment. I, I need to seek you every day of my life. I need to trust you. I need your guidance. I need your direction. God made us to live in a dependent relationship upon him by design that we would walk with him. It's very tempting to, 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 to take popular psychology and, and Christian psychology and to put it in, in catchy little phrases and nice little packages and market it to the church uh, you know, with, with some Christian values and principles and maybe uh, strike out some of the, the world's uh, blatantly obvious arguments. But friends, Jesus has your answer. He knows your need. You say, well, I don't have that kind of relationship with him. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't feel close to Jesus. I don't get answers from him like that. I don't know what to do. I, it's, I have to go read a book off the shelf because I don't know how to get that stuff. You're talking preacher stuff to me. You, you're, you're talking that weird stuff that you guys do. You know? I can't remember what I say every time. Did I tell you, did I tell you about being at, the, uh, at a banquet with the Latino Coalition? a few weeks ago and sitting beside an attorney. Did I, did I tell that service to Charles saying, yes, you did? <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I was, I was very amused. You know, I mentioned another pastor friend of mine who was Lutheran, and he said, yeah, I know you guys get out and go to lunch once in a while. Was, and the feeling I had was, I, I know you do kind of normal stuff, even though you're a preacher. You get out of your office and do normal things. Sometimes I think when, I, when I'm sharing these things with you, you know, you, you're, you're saying, that's for preachers. But man, I live in the real world. I've got to go to work Monday. And I'm telling you, friends, Jesus is still your answer. I don't have anything else to give you except Jesus. He's the only one I have to give you. You say, well, how do I, how do I know him? How do I, how do I get this information from him? How do you get information from anyone? How do you build a relationship with anyone? You've got to talk to them, don't you? Try having a relationship with someone you never speak to. How far do you think you'll get? Do you think you'll know what's in their mind? You know, 
Know how they think? Know what they like? Know what they don't like? Do you like your coffee with cream and sugar? Do you like it black? How do you know that about someone? You, you spend time with them. You go to coffee with them a few times. You notice they don't take cream and sugar in their coffee. So when you have them over to your house, you don't offer them cream and sugar because you know, you know, they don't do that. They do black. You get to know someone by spending time, by having conversations. If you think I'm talking to you, you know, just out of this weird outer space kind of stuff, my encouragement to you is spend time with Jesus. Have conversations. You won't be talking to yourself. He's listening. Start talking to him. Spend some time with him. Read his word. He's given you this his huge guide. Ask him to explain it to you. I told you about my chemistry test. But you know what? When I was that same age, I fell in love with Jesus. I fell in love with his word. And I would come home from school every day and I would open the Bible and I would say, God, teach me. You wrote it. Teach me what you meant. Explain it to me. And I started in Genesis. Not the best place for everybody to start. But I started in Genesis, and I got my pen out, and I started writing in the margin. And you know what? God started talking to me. I don't mean I heard voices in my bedroom at at my desk. What I mean is, as I began to read the Word, God would put an idea in my mind of something else I'd read, and I began to compare Scripture with Scripture. And all of a sudden, I found that the author of Scripture was showing me what he meant by what he said as he put one verse with another verse with another verse, and as I began to read, and I started filling the margin of my Bible with insights and notes that God had given me. If you don't know God in this way, talk to him. Open his word. Read it. Spend time with him. Cultivate a relationship. Get to know him. Find out what he likes. Find out what he doesn't like. Listen to what he has to say. Seek his counsel. Ask him questions. You never know. You may be seeking the answer to a question, and you say, well, I'm going to have to set that aside for the time being. I can't deal with that right now. It's time to go to church. You come to church, you're sitting here, and I'm preaching. And you zone out. That never happens to any of you, right? I'm preaching, and you zone out. And all of a sudden, the answer that you were looking for comes in the midst of worship. A song is sung, and a word from the song gives the insight that you were seeking. You never know how God is going to speak to you. But you ask him questions, and he will answer. Paul says, I don't want you to be taken uh, captive by the things the world has to offer, because we have Jesus. What difference does he make? We have been made complete in him. He is the one who gives us everything that we need. It's in Jesus. You know, people get married, they, they, they get into a marriage relationship, and many people, those of you that aren't married yet, and you're, you're dating, and you're looking for, you're thinking about someday when you get married, or maybe you're actively looking for a partner, and you're at that age in your life, and you're saying, you know what, I need, to, I need to find somebody. And you're looking for the man or woman of your dreams. Listen to me very carefully. No man or woman, no human being will ever satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. You can have a wonderful relationship. You can have a great time in life. You can share life together. You can go through the hard times and the good times, the fun times and the the heartbreaking times and the kid-rearing times, and you can laugh, but no one will ever be able to meet the deepest longings of your heart because that place is reserved for God alone. 
The greatest intimacy you will ever possibly have in life is an intimacy with Jesus Christ. He has carved a niche out of your life that he alone fits perfectly, and no one else can take his place. He is the only one that will never leave you or forsake you. He is the only one that will always understand you, even when you don't understand yourself. He is the only one that will always know what you need. He is the only one that will see the depths of your soul. He is the only one that will feel your pain the way you feel it. No one else can get inside of you and know what you're feeling, but he can because he lives there. In him we have been made complete. And out of that life of abundance flows the capacity to love another human being. Without it, you're just a leech looking for somebody to suck the life out of. That's a little graphic, but... That's what happens when you don't have Jesus meeting you on the inside and you're running around looking for people to do that. It's not ever going to happen. You're just going to suck them dry. You've got to have a, a wellspring of resource that comes inside and, and the scripture says Jesus is that fountain. He makes us complete. He is the one that can release us from the old nature. You know, have you come to the place in your life where you can look at yourself honestly and you say, you know what, I've got some problems. I have a problem with this, I have a problem with this, I always do this. It drives me crazy. Jesus is the only one that can free you from those. We've been talking about that in all Romans 6 and 7, but Jesus is the one that can release you. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He breaks the bondage of bad habits. He breaks the power of your carnal nature. He even defeated the powers of darkness if you're facing demons. He is the power. He has the power. He alone can set you free. In Him we've been raised to a resurrected life. We've been made alive together in Him, Paul says. Jesus said, I've come that you can have life in all of its fullness. I want you to have a blast. I don't mean that in, in a worldly sense, but Jesus said, I want you to enjoy your life to the hilt. I want you to be full of excitement and enthusiasm. I want you to be full of life. I want you to be full of vitality. And I am the source of all of that. I am the source of abundant life. That's why I came. In him, the powers of darkness have been defeated. What good is Jesus? Friend, if you need an answer to an engineering problem, Jesus can give you insight. If you need to pass a test, Jesus can be your strength and cause those brain cells to function to recall what you put in there. If you need to know how to discipline a child in a particular moment in their life, Jesus has the answer. I don't want to digress too far. A lot of parents make mistakes. You know, they buy, they buy these books and they think, okay, here's the template. I, I, I've got a bunch of kids here. I'm going to put the cookie cutter template on them. They're all different. They don't react the same way. They have different personalities. They have different needs. They have different ways of responding to different things. They, you, it's like you just scratch your head. It worked for this one. It's not working for this one. What's the deal? God says that they're not the same. Come to me. I know how to do this. Come to me. No matter what you need, Jesus is the source. What good is he? He is the focus of life. We have nothing else to give, Paul says. Jesus has come in human flesh 
And now he's come to live in you. And he can be your dearest friend, your greatest hero, your source of wisdom and knowledge, your constant strength. He can defeat the demons that haunt you. Jesus is your life. And that's all I have to give you. Father, help us to see Jesus. The mystery of God in the ages. The fullness of all of wisdom and knowledge. The treasure of eternity. The storehouse of life. Help us to see Jesus. King of kings and Lord of lords. Baby in a manger. Dying upon the cross. Raised in glory. Help us to see Jesus, the lover of our soul. Help us to see Jesus, Almighty God in human flesh, and to bow at His feet and to take Him as our dearest friend. Lord Jesus, we love You this morning. Amen.